When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much. And welcome back to the Voice Hacks podcast. Today, we have phenomenal vocalist Lauren Hart here with us. You guys know her from her band Once Human. Some of you have also had the awesome pleasure of seeing her perform with Camelot. We're going to dive deep, talk all things clean and harsh vocals with Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. God, it's been a hot minute, hasn't it? Yeah, because last time I interviewed you guys, it was like in the infancy of my channel. And that was before I realized interviews don't do that good on YouTube. Although admittedly, while it was up there, people were watching yours more than others. I thought that was a great interview. You know, it's funny. I'm pretty sure that happened on like the same day that Cobra and I, or Cobra told me about this opportunity with Camelot with uh, the Iron Maiden show. So it was like, that was a huge week for me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I watch your interview and I just kind of seem like oblivious to what's about to happen, you know? <laughs> That's wonderful. I love those moments in the music story and the music journey right before the the big offer hits or whatever. You know what I mean? That's a really exciting time for an artist. Yeah. Let's start with Camelot. I was going to start with Once Human, but we already started kind of talking about it. So just to catch everyone up on what we were just talking about, because some people might not realize, um, I because I took all of my interviews down now that I'm doing this podcast. Oh. I think it's going to be a lot. I just took them down last week, I think. Okay. So because um, I want to direct all the traffic here. They didn't do super well compared to my other videos anyway. But um, when what we're talking about is an interview that we did on a tour a few years ago where you were playing with Xandria and Cobra and the Lotus. And Cobra Page is married to Tommy from Camelot. So there's this whole interconnectedness thing going on here. And that's so cool that that was right before you were going to do stuff with them. And I wanted to see... so. In Once Human, you're doing primarily harsh vocals. You do do some cleans, and they're gorgeous, but you did some absolutely beautiful cleans with Camelot. Absolutely gorgeous stuff. And I wanted to see, though, people. everybody loves the beauty and the beast thing, but they don't realize how hard that is to execute because you also did harsh vocals with them. And how different it is, too, to do cleans like you didn't write for yourself in your own band. So tell us about what was it like to prepare for the gig with Camelot, which is very different from what you do with your own band. 
Oh man, I didn't have much time to prepare. I was thrown into the deep end both times. So my first show with Once Human was opening up direct support for Fear Factory. So I was thrown in the deep end there. My first show with Camelot was opening for Iron Maiden. And I honestly, I, it's almost like I had to think later. Preparing for each one is very different. With Once Human, it's a lot more breath work, exercising. I have to be in incredible shape because it's a lot of air just blowing all the time, you know. Um, yes. And with Camelot, I had to be very accurate, very uh, controlled, and I couldn't get out of breath. You know, um, when I was doing all my screaming, I had to make sure that I wasn't out of breath for when those cleans came. And um, I found that in the beginning, I often was. So that was a challenge to overcome. I got better at it by not doing so much acrobatics on stage. I could save some energy that way. And then when the cleans came, I, at least uh, my heart wasn't pumping too hard. Yeah, the cleans were quite different too uh, in Camelot compared to the ones I did in Once Human. And I think it's because I, uh, first of all, I didn't want to sing clean when I started the band Once Human. Logan forced mm. me to do it. He, I, I, I was just afraid and because I don't have like a natural vibrato, I, I thought, oh, I can't sing, you know. Oh, well, we learned that couldn't be further from the truth. You did such a good job, it turned out. Yeah, it's like a, I don't know, it's a different kind of vibrato. I guess it's a force thing. Sometimes it happens by accident and I still am uh, learning how to control it. Thank God for Melissa Cross. So uh, she taught me it's all in the hoo-hoo. She says it's all in the hoo-hoo. With the <laughs> uh, oh, uh, so does she mean pelvic floor yes. support? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, right. I was like, uh, hoo-hoo. I see. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, she is great advice because i think when we put a lot of transparency on it it's really encouraging to the people like looking up at you with camelot being like oh my god how do you even do something like that you know and hearing what kind of goes behind it so you didn't really have any rehearsal time with the band i did i did have a lot of rehearsal time uh, i think i just meant i was thrown into the deep end uh like with the high pressure show. Yeah. Right? And, and just mm -hmm. uh, first time doing that style on stage was like happened to be with Ghost and Iron Maiden and Camelot. I'm just like, what the hell? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it, there it's was huge. A lot of, it's massive. It was, it was a lot of trial and error, but I think it really helped me just grow. It's like I, I learned by doing and um, of course, that's that's how you learn. But uh, yeah, it was a challenge because, again, in Once Human, I did a lot of quiet vocals it was very like not really belting you know because uh, I felt like I could control it better when I was using head voice or soft voice you know and then with Camelot it's like you have to belt liar liar you have to <laughs> you have to be able to yell on pitch uh, in order to hit those notes and um, so I was forced out of my comfort zone there and because of my growth with Camelot um, this next album Once Human I go take it even further and it's just like full loud belts yelling on pitch with rasp and you know I'm really excited about these new cleans that I've evolved to I don't know if they're called cleans anymore that's it's sort of harsh there's a little preview of it in the new song that we released called deadlock in the bridge I guess it's the bridge for me when I teach people and you know a lot of people there's a lot of synonyms for it but I call it like a voice with distortion so I wouldn't think of it as clean really but yeah you're using your voice and that new single by the way is amazing how phenomenal it's just it hits so hard it's super well written 
And what an amazing opportunity to get to work with Rob Flynn from Machine Head. You know, how crazy was that? <laughs> it was crazy. It was not only, I mean, to write a song with the man, but then we went and did a video together and I just... The energy he brings on stage is the same exact energy in person. You just—he is so compelling to watch. So yeah, that was that was an awesome experience. I saw the video clip you had on Instagram of the behind the scenes and the way he was moving in front of the camera. He looks like he moves like he's twenty five years younger. <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. The guy doesn't age. Him and Logan, I don't know what they drank in Oakland or whatever, <laughs> but man, they just—they don't age. So yeah, he's he was great uh, in person with and his movements and stuff. He had this natural thing with his hands, you know, like the with, when he was doing all these rhythmic vocals. I guess people would call it kind of rap, but I don't think it's rap, you know. <laughs> That's not really equate to rap to me. I agree, it's very rhythmic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was just like moving with his hands, and like I didn't know what to do with mine because I usually have a, a microphone, and I'm just like, oh, uh. <laughs> like you know, I I felt kind of weird with my, I didn't know what to do. I felt awkward but yeah I was I felt like I learned a lot by watching him you did great it came across amazing and I couldn't believe how much yeah he was moving in your kind of behind the scenes clips and I, I thought to myself you know that's why it's good to see that kind of stuff see how much energy you guys actually have to put into your physical movement to get it to come across like that in a video, how much energy it really takes. Yeah, well, um, I think when the lyrics mean something to you, um, it helps as well because you really are expressing your soul. And sometimes the movements, they're not really preconceived. They just kind of happen, you know, with the words that you're saying. That's the best way when it's not contrived. I had this right arm thing. I always have my right arm doing stuff when I'm screaming and it's pretty funny. I don't know. It's like I'm throwing a ball around or something. <laughs> that's super great though, but that's authenticity. That's a being a really authentic artist and you know, conveying your emotions through not only like your sound, but your physical body. And I think that's really important. And as you mentioned with Once Human, it's out and out and exhausting. I mean, you're doing these aggressive, uh, like, false chord screams the whole time, and it's, like, just a massive expulsion of air, and on top of it, putting your physical energy into it. It's no wonder you have to work out and be in shape that much. And do you guys have any tours uh, for Once Human coming up at all this year or next year? If all goes well in the world, you know. Because we all know how it's been with announcing and rescheduling and all that. So hopefully it's... In the event that there is a tour, what's your method for building up to that? Because a lot of people don't realize that just to get to the set length, you kind of have to work yourself up to that point. And then you have the task of maintaining it over six, seven, eight weeks or however long you're on the road. Do you have a, a method that you've used that works for you to build up to that? I've already got back on the spin bike. Spinning for, for me it has been the best way to build up my lungs. Um, I guess the lung capacity because I've heard that it's sort of like having a, a balloon that you just got out of the package, right? And you've got to really stretch that out, stretch the balloon out before you blow into it. And I, I don't know if that's exactly how your lungs are, but in my head, that's how it feels. It's like I've got this brand new balloon and I've got to, I've got to really work that every day in order to get my air capacity or my breath capacity. Um, and also just my heart and I guess the blood circulation and everything, it all plays a big part. Um, but then when it comes to rehearsal, I'll start a month before and I will 
the guys will be starting the music before I come in there just to make sure that they're all good with that. And then I'll come in and do as many songs as I can before I feel like, okay, uh, if I go anymore, I'm going to put stress on my throat and I don't want to do that. So I just listen to my body and um, and then the next day I'll come in and maybe I'll do a little bit more and the next day a little bit more. And then before I know it, I'm doing the whole set and uh, I might throw like a trampoline in there or, uh, <laughs> you know, jump around. Oh, uh, that's great. Like <laughs> one of the small ones, right? That's genius. Yeah, I got one now for this time. But yeah, I would I would normally uh, work up to just being a lot more aerobic with it and do weird shit like jumping up and down or running around. And even though I don't really run a lot on stage, but just like because you're going to be naturally out of breath when you get on stage from adrenaline. So yeah, I try to uh, mimic that with the trampoline, you know. <laughs> That's genius though, because there are these other conditions. You're making it harder for yourself in practice. You know, very much being a vocalist is so much more athletic than it is musical, especially with harsh vocals. And, you know, you're going to have, okay, if it's a festival, it's probably going to be really hot outside. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like you said, the adrenaline, there are other things at play. Also, just in general, you can't, have you know at rehearsal and recording you're you're at home usually you can get a decent night's sleep and stuff and I mean even if your tour does well and you can afford hotels you can't always get one you know you you if you have to drive from like Salt Lake to Portland or something you're gonna have to drive and the tour you you're not gonna get adequate rest so there's all these things and all these reasons why you've got to go a little harder than you would and that's genius. Use the trampoline, everybody. I like that idea. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so Mara uh, was the one that told me that there's full-on circuit training um, that, that you can do now with your set. Like, like, like sing while you're, uh, you got like the bike and then you can jump onto the trampoline and then, you know, you can <laughs> do like full aerobics while, and that's, that's pretty awesome as well. Um, yeah, that's another level. I might try it out, but you'd have to have it all set up in set up in the rehearsal space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, cause the people at the gym would be like, you know, you're in there. No, no, you couldn't do it at the gym. You'd have to bring all this stuff in the space. Yeah. We have a spin bike. I have a trampoline. We have weights, you know? So yeah, it might be interesting. I'd probably end up laughing at myself, but, uh, <laughs> that's so cool though. And really these are the extremes we have to go to. These are harsh vocals. It's, it's really, and you want to put on a good show. I mean, it's really tough to run around the stage. If it's a bigger stage is going to take more to close that distance you know smaller stages you can kind of stay in place and but yeah you have your work cut out for you and it's good I really like people hearing about the plans and things that go into it so when you're on the road do you have a vocal warm-up routine is it different than what you might do say with Camelot versus Once Human I did the same warm-up it was always melissa cross's warm-up um i tried ken tamplin's stuff for a while too and that was helpful and i really incorporated the water the bottle uh in the straw my into my, oh my god that thing as soon as i the, well with camelot i got lucky every time i was uh, i only did a couple of songs i would go off stage and come up for another one and go off stage i was really lucky i could have those vocal breaks you know which is great when you're a screamer to be able to be silent for just a couple of minutes it helps so much um, but i can't do that with once human the bottle is uh, a really great equivalent to just having some quiet time uh, even if i'm going 
uh, off for just a couple of seconds while Max is doing a lead. I'll be blowing bubbles into the water and I feel like it just heals <laughs> like any sort of swelling that might be happening or mm. any kind of fatigue brings all of that down and I'm able to go back out and I feel just as strong as the very beginning. So yeah, the bottle, um, which also Melissa Cross told me about. And um, now every time I'm on the road, I see a lot of other fellow singers walking around with the bottles and their straws and stuff, <laughs> blowing bubbles. And all the other band members completely annoyed by it. <laughs> oh my God, that's our job. If I had a, to, to make everybody annoyed, you know, at six in the morning when you're warming up in the hotel and then they're all sleeping hungover still or whatever. But um, yeah, you 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 talk about this technique, and this is a very com- this is a great technique that comes from, um, it, and you've taken great advice from some of the best vocal coaches, the people you're mentioning, Melissa, Ken, you know, uh, really good people to listen to, you know, for their advice. But uh, I think the where I heard of the straw was mostly um, a, a still vocal technique. Well, it's the same as like that idea. Yes, you're mentioning something really, really important that I teach a lot of my lessons. And that's very a lot of real great vocal coaches know this well studied people, these type of exercises, water and straw, sometimes tiny straw, no water, or uh, lip trills, as you mentioned, Z's or another one, Z's, or S's, like a sizz or a suz. And also sometimes, like sometimes I use a glottal N, like Mm. And so all of these are things that are called um, semi-occluded vocal exercises or partially closed vocal exercises. And it they what they do is they create like an air pocket right here near the larynx with that resistance. You can feel the resistance against the straw a little bit. But yet it's not uh, pushing from the throat. In fact, it forces the muscles around the larynx, the cricothyroid ligaments to release and stretch. And those are the ones that make us feel... You know, fatigued, like there's a lump in our throat, and all kind, or like work is being performed from the throat too much, all kinds of stuff. So those are vocalists' gold, especially people that um, fry scream or anybody that has uh, a heavy vocal workload in general. So I'm so glad you brought that up because here you go, everybody. Real world world example of using that stuff and how important and essential it is. You're physically maintaining the muscles in your instrument. And I love also that you said you you pop back behind the scrims or whatever in the instrumental break and you do it for a couple seconds into the straw. This is something that I also tell people to do is to do stuff in real time. So it's so crazy because we've never talked about this stuff and, and you're out there doing these techniques. And it's great because all vocalists really do start to stumble upon to really similar methods. And it's great to hear it working in the real world. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of the fans, if, if there is no scrim to walk behind or if it's a really small stage, I'll just do it out in the open like while well, Max is doing his thing and people are looking at me like, is she smoking a bong? What is she doing? I <laughs> <laughs> don't understand. Like, Because that's what it looks like, you know. You're blowing bubbles into this straw and it's like, it looks like a bong. <laughs> yeah, definitely not smoking in between the songs. <laughs> I'll definitely put stuff back by the drum riser. That's my thing. And then I'll just do it with my back turned. So I've brought like on tour a lot of like plastic $1, you know, reusable water and straw cups because that way 
if it breaks, like, I don't care, you know? But also the other thing I keep back by the drum riser that I'll do is this thing. You can see it, although people listening won't be able to see it, but all my vocal students know what it is. It's this mister thing. There's a really good company that makes them called Vocal Mist, but you can also find them on Amazon. It's just a cool mist nebulizer. I've obviously beat the crap out of this one. It's kind of broken, but you put saline solution in it, moisturized cords. They move with much more ease. It's scientifically proven that if your cords are moisturized, which frequently they'll get dry in a venue, fog, uh, air conditioning, even heating, just blowing air air you know it's very drying and i put it back there and this looks like a vape it's not a vape it's like a continuous stream but i go back by the driver and people look at me like i'm vaping (laughs) (laughs) well that was another thing that was recommended to me actually i've got to get one of those yeah so you can either get one from vocal mist or um just google cool mist nebulizer handheld nebulizer on Amazon. You can see a whole bunch of them. But yeah, that's wonderful. This is what I want people to gain from these podcasts is what you're actually doing a little bit. And now maybe a few less people will think it's a bong. So... But yeah, the, the the dry throat thing, like I noticed a huge difference uh, recording vocals in Vegas versus elsewhere, like California, you know, it's it's a lot uh, more difficult in the dry weather. And um, so, yeah, I do have one of those humidifiers, but it's not like that. It's just one of those, like you have to put your face in it and you can't knock it over or else you'll burn yourself. <laughs> oh, those are so hot. I don't even like those. Yeah, I know. These are not hot, this mist nebulizer. And I also keep it like right in front of me in the studio and I'm just like... <sighs> Like <laughs> between Ooh, that looks like something I could bring on stage too. Yeah, like I said, I keep it by the drum riser and I just turn my back to the audience. As you mentioned, if it's too small or there's no scrims or nobody has like a 12 by 8, you can like hide behind. It's a great one. So you could add that to your arsenal. So and anybody listening, you know, cool mist nebulizer, handheld nebulizer. But yeah, and the water and straw, folks. Water and straw. And the other thing I want to try. I was talking about this in a lesson yesterday is the singing straws. They're teeny tiny straws, but they have them in like graduating widths from teeniest to like slightly not as teeny, maybe like coffee stir a tiny at first, right? Yeah, like teeny straw. And so, yeah, they go like in order like a pan flute. I want to try those too, but I haven't yet. Yeah, that uh, really helps with the diaphragm work, I think, too, those little tiny ones. And uh, yeah, Melissa uh, often talks about using the small straws as well. Yes. And and what that's doing is it's forcing the muscles in your larynx to disengage with that air pressure. It just makes your abs have to do it. So it, it improves everything. It stretches the muscles. It makes your abs have to do it. This is so great to get this technical. Let's go back a little bit and let's talk about uh, pandemic times and we're coming kind of towards the end of it here. People are getting back out in the road, but you put out a new single. You guys were very productive during this time. Tell us about what you were doing to keep busy vocally while you couldn't go on the road. Well, because we had all this extra time, we had, we had a finished album like last year. Um, but I'm a perfectionist and, uh, Max in a lot of ways, he's, he's our guitar player and, uh, amazing amazing writer um he he also like was testing new tones and wanting you know doing different mixes and everything and we changed the music and a lot of well because we had all this extra time we decided to rewrite some parts and then it ended up turning into like a lot of the parts got rewritten and I redid lyrics 
we just kind of honed in and <laughs> changed stuff on the album and wrote new songs because we had all this extra time. And so that's, that sort of kept me busy. And um, then just stayed in the gym. Uh, luckily, I had access to a private facility for a long time. So uh, I didn't really get shut out of the gyms. Um, and then I bought my own equipment to work out at home for the days that I couldn't get into the private gym and got a spin bike and all that stuff. So I kept myself uh, pretty in shape just to make sure that um, I'm ready whenever it's go time. And then I've been working on some covers uh, on the side and yeah, and also uh, I write stuff for other bands as well. So um, singing in different styles helps me discover things about my own voice that I didn't know that I had, you know, because when you're writing for another band, you have to think uh, what they would like in their music, which is kind of out of your genre most of the time. So uh, you kind of discover new voices in that way. And I think that's part of the reason why I am able to do this harsh yelling I don't know what you, what did you call it voice with distortion yeah. a lot of people would call it like grit heat yeah. rasp you know that's why I just call it voice with distortion to me it's anything it could be singing speaking or shouting that has a voiced pitch and it could be hey you know like pretty much like what you're doing you know or it could be singing bluesy like hey you know but it's all done the same the rasp goes away and it kind of I don't know. It, it goes, it weaves in and out in a lot of these songs. But yeah, that's that voice I discovered from writing for another band. So it's all all really cool stuff, you know? No, wait, this is really neat. So I didn't know you did that. So right by writing for another band, do you mean uh, a guest spot with another band or composing for them in the background for their music? I uh, I don't compose the actual music, but I compose the top lines in the lyrics for other bands yeah how cool that is really badass now how did you get into that well logan uh is a producer um and he gets a lot of different bands coming to him so there's a lot of opportunities there to write um and then one other one was a video game that i did <laughs> that one was interesting i had to sing like a little little girl what <laughs> wanted like rebellious thing we wanted to sing like a rebellious teenager i'm like oh gosh so i did it in like all these different voices until they were happy and uh yeah by the end it was like nah, 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 nah. it was not good <laughs> but that's what they wanted <laughs> it was like a character voice yeah they like. wanted like a like a mad angry teenager you know like you know <laughs> so but, you know, through things like that, I, I really discover different things um, about my own voice that I didn't know I had because I get to sort of put on a mask and uh, play a different role, you know? So, yeah. Wow, that is so neat. That is just a really cool thing. I didn't realize that. And a lot of people, uh, just in case anybody's wondering what a top line is, top line is just the vocal line over the instruments, um, or you know, and sometimes people have, uh, and I'm, I know, I know you know this, I just saying for my, maybe my voice students listening who it might be new to them, because I like to talk about the career choices we might have in music and some of the unique options we can have. And definitely a top liner is a good job. Um, and it's multi-genre, like lots of different uh, genres need people writing top lines. How cool. That is so cool. Yeah. And, you know, um, one thing I wanted to say is uh, I can't remember who told me this, but I was always uh, telling myself, you know, I, I can't sing opera. I can't. I can't. But uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, said, just 
you know, when you do an impression of an opera singer, all of a sudden you can sing opera. It's like, cause like when you imitate someone else, all of a sudden you're just making a joke. But a lot of times you sound really good. Like when you ask someone, oh, just do an opera impersonation, they do opera. And they, <laughs> so it's, it's like, I guess you feel more brave when you feel like you're not being yourself in a way um, or you're just you're just making fun of it. But in reality, that's a good way to discover is when you imitate other people or other bands that you like or Metallica, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that's how you discover new voices is by imitating other voices, you know. But you you nailed it. Oh, this is why I'm going to love doing this podcast so much. I'm, I'm about like seven or eight episodes pre-recorded now, but you nailed some beautiful points that I'm always, I feel like I'm a broken record teaching all day, repeating this stuff, but you nailed, I, I use that all the time. When I'm trying to teach people voice with distortion, I use an impression and it's exactly the same concept because our abstract thought can do certain things we don't realize when we're screwing around and doing that goofy cartoon voice that we're doing a certain technique. So I always tell people for the voice with distortion when they're first finding it, not people like yourself who could already do it, but people who've never, ever dabbled in it. Right. And I tell them do the, this crusty imitation of Dave Mustaine, you know, talking to himself like me, hello me, you know, and it works. It comes out. Yeah. So. Like, or, or you could do a witch or like even like sound effects, like a creaky door or something or like, I don't know. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> All of those work too. And because we don't have direct command wiring, it's wired to our abstract thoughts. So that's why it's like, how, how did I do that? But that's lovely to know that you were discovering sounds about your clean voice that way and through composing. How neat. I, I love anything. And then it discovers things that you can do that you didn't even know that you can integrate into your own music. Right. That's right. Yeah. I, I just, I learn things and I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll just keep a little bit of that and I'll keep, you know, you're just putting little crayons into your crayon box. See, like, I'll take this color and that color, you know? <laughs> yes. And the, and the more colors you have to paint with, you know, there's no right or wrong how we paint, but it's certainly nice to have a nice palette. Right. So yeah, this is great. Well, let's talk as far as vocal technique goes, when you discovered harsh vocals, how did that come into your life? How did you, I mean, it's harsh vocals even nowadays, even though now we actually have all, all again, uh, homage to Melissa Cross, you know, who started the whole thing, all thanks to her initial beginnings. There are lots of us now who understand these techniques and can get people to do them correctly and um, can talk about it more technically. But screaming is still unusual. It's not like what our mom and dad grow up wanting us to do. My parents try to be so supportive. They're like, oh, it sounds really nice, darling. Like, <laughs> My dad is, a, you know, my dad's a singer. My dad is like, he he did like Tom Jones impersonations for a lot of shows and stuff. Yeah. Like he did a cruise ship and everything. So like, and he, you know, would always take me karaoke singing and stuff. And, and now when I show him like once human, he's just, he's like, he's so supportive. But he's like, God, you know, he like thinks it's like the best thing you could possibly say about it. He's like, I, you know, I, I couldn't do that. So uh, that's, cool you know <laughs> like you know it's funny it's it's funny it's, he they don't get it but they are really supportive why did I start bringing that up oh you asked me about how I started screaming 
at a very young age, I gravitated towards metal because I think I was an outcast. I was alone, a loner a lot of my life, um, just from moving around so much. And, um, and then I just, you know, ended up, it just ended up me and my guitar most lunch times and all that stuff. And then I found other kids that were often off of campus. <laughs> <laughs> they hang out with yeah the, the bad boys and uh, they loved metal and I I got into it through them and at first it started with like power metal and uh Yngwie Malmsteen's trilogy was one of the first albums I owned and um and then it just it turned into um it went into Opeth and Dimu and uh, then Wages of Sin came out with Angela Gossoff <laughs> the queen the most influential record of my life as well, yeah. Oh yes, it, and I and I said it was my my friends like Ken and Steve. I was like, guys, this guy has an amazing voice. Who is this? And they're like, that's not a guy. That's that's a girl singing. I'm like, what? You didn't tell me girls could do this as well. And they had a band. So after um, their brand their band practice, I would beg them. I'm like, please let me try to scream. Let me do it. Let me do it. And they would let me come in sometimes, and and I would scream, and I would taste blood afterwards and I thought that that was I didn't know that was wrong that um <laughs> I thought it was cool and metal and uh, you know like oh yeah this is the way this is we're, we're hardcore you know check this out blood is on the floor you know like <laughs> but no it's not a that was definitely wrong and um but I continued to be influenced by these bands and then I got into um drama school and an acting college which uh, had voice as part of the college which not not like singing but uh, it taught you breathing techniques because as an actor on a stage you don't have a microphone so you have to learn how to project reach the audience in the back very very back of the room without a mic um, so you have to learn how to breathe properly um, from down uh, down in your diaphragm and not up in your chest and all this and we did a lot of spine rolls and, and, uh, and at first I hated it. Um, it was annoying. If I did one more spine roll, I was going to, I was going to punch somebody out, <laughs> but then, you know, and then I, I started feeling a difference in, in, in my voice. And I, I obviously when I started, um, getting back into music again, I started using that for my screaming and I no longer tasted blood, <laughs> which was a good sign that it was working. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. And, uh, that's, that's how it happened. And, um, and I only started screaming again for real, uh, like for real when I started, when I met Logan and we started this project called Once Human. And that's when I was really able to do it, not just like in a garage, like with some friends or whatever, but this was, this was serious now. So I took the voice work seriously. And um, then in the very beginning, like I would do at least an hour or two of, of voice work, like spine rolls and, mm, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Certainly. Like filling up your diaphragm down here, having your hands on your lower, your lower two ribs and inflating that and until you're all out of air and then doing it again, you know, um, and uh, I don't do that so much anymore. I probably will before this next tour because I'm a bit out of practice um, and I do feel like my, my capacity has kind of gone down, but I, I think about a month or so of doing the voice work before the tour, I should be back in shape. That is so cool. I think that this really highlights another point that I'm always trying to convey to people 
is there's this world out there of the American Idol, like oh, you just have it, like people can just do stuff, they could just scream or just sing or whatever. But even when you you know were figuring it out on your own, you mentioned that you had to apply your theater technique that wasn't just magic, and that when you did the first record, when you did start jamming with Logan, you had to really actively do that. And it's not this magical thing, even though you're pretty inclined to the harsh vocals naturally in in that way, as far as like making the sound and getting to come out, you did an awful lot technically, even before you realized what was, you know, the details and I mean, it really shows that you've got some really great vocal work on your records and it's very intense. And I think um, a lot of people, I, I think there's just, even with all this transparency we have nowadays, there's still this thing, this, you know, the voice, the idol syndrome, like you can just do something, you know, um, that's really not realistic. That's not how it usually works. Let's talk about, now you put out this single. Are you guys leaning more towards singles in this era or are you going to is this just sort of filling time between records getting something out there special before tours and things or are you working on another record for the future already our record is not out until february um 2022 which so yeah a lot of people are like why are you putting out a single now and we have this long rollout as part of a compromise um we really wanted to release music the label did not want to release music until we had guaranteed tours uh, or until the world was opened up again, just because it is sort of a risky thing. You know, no one, this is the first time this has happened to all of us. Like, wh what do we do? We don't know. So let's just wait until we know what to do. <laughs> like, but we really felt like we haven't released anything in way too long. And we held onto this album, like I said, for a long time, you know, before we even released this single. But we feel like things are opening up now. And we do have, uh, I think it's like four singles coming out. We, we do have a lot of videos coming out before the album. So that was another part of the compromise. And then, of course, now we have a tour as well that coincides with one of the singles. Yeah, it, it all seems to be falling into place. Um, but I think the long rollout is just due to the fact that no one knows what to do right now. It's like, well, how do we handle this? <laughs> we just yeah. hope for the best. But we didn't want to just sit there dormant like we have been. You know, Logan's been with Machine Head. I was with Camelot. Once Human really hasn't put anything out in, in far too long. And we were tired of sitting there being like, guys, hold on. It's coming soon. We promise. Just right around the corner now. And then... <laughs> then the world would shut down and like, wait, just keep holding on. We're coming, you know? So now it's out and we're, we feel like the ball's rolling and uh, yeah, it kind of feels like I can live again. So that's nice. <laughs> big things coming soon. It always sucks to get, always. In the big, you know, it sucks to get stuck in there. Um, but this is great. Clearly the ball is rolling and what a great way to kick it off. Um, the single is fantastic. And the pairing with Rob, I mean, it's amazing, especially too. you guys had covered, uh, Machine Head, obviously, Logan being a member of the band, you know, certainly helps. But uh, your cover of Davidian is so good, too. So it's kind of cool to see it come full circle and have you actually do a duet with the vocalist. That's really neat, I think. And so I think it was a great way to kick it off. But I understand what you mean. I mean, what are artists supposed to do? And labels, too. It's like the whole model. They were, I mean, without tour support, I mean, the whole thing got turned upside down during COVID. A lot of us went to Twitch and... Uh youtube and patreon and all that so at least we've been able to be creative in those ways do you stream are you doing twitch and, the, and so forth 
No, uh, I think Max is going to start a channel because he's a gamer. That'll be awesome. Um, but I, I started Patreon and it's very boutique right now. I don't really promote it as much as I can, uh, as much as I should. Uh, I don't know why. I think I just, I prefer it sort of like this small little family because I kind of give away a lot of secrets and I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I see. I see. You know, it's interesting. I think every person that I've interviewed on the podcast so far, has had a Patreon, maybe except one or two. And uh, a lot of people have mentioned enjoying the comfort in a more small, isolated audience because it's people who very much support you and it's kind of troll-free. Do you feel the same a little bit? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, because I don't really, I don't know if where I have a link to actually find it. People have to really find me, I think, or, or just like look me up, you know. And um, I feel like that's a lot nicer when I see I have a new patron and it's not because I like heavily pushed for it it's like they came to find me because they want to support me and yeah so that is really nice and um, I get a lot of time with each one of them and get to know them and uh, yeah so that it is it is really nice you know they the regular social media is cool for the masses and you know but again, like I, I see a lot of girls doing incredibly well, a lot of people doing incredibly well on, on Patreon and making a full living for themselves. So props to them. That That's amazing too, you know, and um, I'm not sure if I'll ever get to that level. It's a tremendous amount of content and work on top of your regular band and content, you know, and you do top lining and you have a lot on your plate. Yeah, but I've never really been huge uh, on social media. You know, I've, I'm, I'm kind of more of a private person. Person and maybe that's why I also prefer the small family that I have on Patreon. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know. I get sort of um, intimidated with social media, and I've learned to accept that. It's hard. It's not a safe space. It's constant assault through the comments, and it is rather anxiety-inducing. I think that for me, it's the same. I feel very, uh, even though I do the YouTube thing, it's a constant source of anxiety for me. So I totally feel you there. But I wanted to ask, too, you mentioned, circling back, about recording some covers, possibly. And in a way, I feel like YouTube is a better place than some other social media platforms. Um, it's it's a lot easier to block accounts over there because it's a Google account. So it's kind of more cumbersome for people to make new ones. And But I do feel like that's where people put our videos. So talk about like what kind of covers are you are you interested in covering things uh, just for fun that are are they in the metal genre? Are they outside of the genre? When you're looking at something like that, what kind of stuff do you genres do you look at? Well, it's funny. Uh, Max and I did the Strapping Young Lad song. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I did see that. That was great. But with with Larry. Yeah. <laughs> Larry is my favorite. I love Larry so much. Oh, it's so funny. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know that so many people would love Larry, but they really do. I feel like people love Larry more than me, which is cool. <laughs> that means I get to be Larry more. <laughs> Um, yes. but yeah. Larry is the best though. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Max, I was like, Max, pick a pick a song. Uh, and he picked this song by Strapping Young Lad. And I was just like, how the hell am I going to do that? I mean, like Devin Townsend of all people, like how the hell am I going to do Devin? It was a, a challenge, which I love a challenge. 
and I think it turned out pretty okay. Um, so there was there was Max picked that one, and then um, I picked out a couple that I still I'm doing a video for it actually. Probably since I have my makeup done for you, <laughs> I'm gonna probably, gorgeous, beautiful. Thank you though. I'm gonna probably shoot that today. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a metal song, and so. But I have so many ideas. I, I really wanted to cover John Farnham's The Voice. Have you heard that song? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with it. It's probably super famous. And now I. <laughs> he's, an Aussie, he's an Aussie icon. But yeah, that song, is, everyone knows it out there. And uh, but yeah, I always sing that. That's the one I sing in my car by myself when no one can hear me. And but it's also I feel like a great warm up song. That's great. So it's a ballad or? I guess so. I, I guess you could call it a ballad. Um, yeah, it's a, like an anthem, like a really, you just got to hear it. It's really nice. Oh, I would love to hear you sing that. That sounds great. That sounds like it'd be neat, like a little bit different, you know? Well, it's hard taking on uh, people, you know, like Freddie Mercury or, or icons like that because people, it's always like. Oh, God. Yeah. You can't compare, right? It's. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, I'm always like, I really want to do it, but then I psych myself out. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I have a couple ideas for covers. One's done. I'll, I'll put that video out probably, probably next month, I'm guessing, or in a couple of weeks. Oh, how cool. That's great. Yeah some fun just some fun when you were back doing the theater college and everything did you ever do musical theater or was it just straight plays and things no there was no musical theater this one uh this one was really focused on method acting and there was a lot of Shakespeare and uh <laughs> it was teaching you more for theater and television so uh there was no musical theater really. Um, at least not when I was, not at the time that I was going. I left that school uh, before I graduated because they were teaching a method taught by Eric Morris um, and he was in LA. And I, since I'm a dual citizen of Australia and America, I got to go to LA and, and learn under the man himself. So I thought that that was oh. a far better investment. But then when I came to LA, I met Logan and, you know, here, here we are. <laughs> How cool. It's so wonderful how life unfolds like that. That's really neat. Halfway across the world like that. Yeah. <laughs> now, how did you come to be a dual citizen then as your family from both places? My dad has the opportunity to work in Australia and I moved around a lot as a kid. I didn't actually move to Australia until I was, you know, 13, 14. And, uh, but now, uh, once the, once the, everything dies down with COVID, everything's locked back up in Australia right now. My dad and I sort of reunited this year, um, <laughs> in a, in a good way and worked through some stuff and we plan to go back there together and here's to new beginnings. <laughs> That's great. And it's, it's so wonderful how music and arts lead us on our journey to different parts of the world. And, and you never really know who you're going to meet and who you're going to connect with and look at what it's all led you to these wonderful bands and experiences. I mean, it's so great. I was going to ask a little bit more on the acting thing. After studying method acting, do you feel like there's any time that you apply that technique in musical scenarios? Or do you feel like it's a lot less like that? Or there's is there any room for that in vocal performance or technique? Because method acting is sort of, it teaches you not to act. I Maybe I use it, uh, I think when I'm on stage, um, by not acting and being true to myself, not, uh, not, not really playing a role, but just sort of bringing out, uh, an inner part of myself that maybe you can't bring, 
you know, in, to the public because, you know, you can't really bring that monster <laughs> to the so, mall. You sure. know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, you know, it's, it's a real. Give me some soda. <laughs> yeah. It's a real part of myself. So I don't, I don't feel like I'm, you know, people can tell when you're not being genuine on stage. They can tell when it's like, no, oh, there's not some, they don't connect. You know, so I think when with that with method acting, I guess I I learned to it, that to be myself, and even though I could be in a different character, it's still a character within myself. No preconceived or conceptualized idea or pretending to be something I'm not. It's it all comes from within, and there's different ways to to draw and from from that and uh, different crayons. Uh, you know what I mean? But uh, it's. Yeah, I think I, I use those method acting techniques in everyday life as well. It's very therapeutic. It is a lot like therapy. Yes, I would imagine. It's it, especially harsh vocals have to be very cathartic. I think if you're like having a bad day and you're just letting it out, that's got to be cool. Do you ever just do vocals when you're ah, stressed out or anything? Yeah, and and also with lyric writing, I think it uh, it helps too um, because you can write things that are a little bit abstract and to you it means something so personal but yet when someone reads them they find something in their own life that they think that it's about and it's not necessarily I didn't write it about that but they connect to it for some reason it's it's hard to explain but no I think that's what everybody does is they listen to lyrics and they turn it into what they think it's about you know it's almost disappointing knowing what it's really about sometimes (laughs) Yeah, I want people to feel like it's for them. I want them I want them to be reminded of something that maybe that happened to them in their life or, you know, something that they're feeling currently. And uh, I, I don't want to say you're wrong because they're not wrong. You know, if that's how it makes you feel. And if you're if you hear that song and it helps you work through something, then that's that's what that song's about. That's beautiful. I definitely see it that way too, because I've always done that myself, just listening and per- interpreting the lyrics to what they mean to me. But then I find out later, and I'm like, "That's that's what that means." <laughs> I'm yeah. like in an interview or something, and I'm like, "Oh, that's not what I." Yeah, right. But I hate but, explaining my lyrics because of that. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you're right. Everybody is giving it a, a personal thing, and sometimes it might have to do with something they went through in their lives, and maybe it was even therapeutic for them. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, yeah, so I've written a lot of songs that have like, if I'm questioned about this, I'm going to choke. <laughs> yeah, right. Is Rob the only other vocalist you guys have collaborated with in Once Human? Yes. Would you ever do another collab with the band? Oh my god, yeah, that that was so much fun. I would love to. Who would be a dream collab? <laughs> Michael Ackerfeld. Uh... <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Total dream collab. I would love to work with Lisa and Tatiana from Ginger. I, I would love to work with Cobra. I mean, like, honestly, I there's so many people that I love. Um, They're all amazing. They're all brilliant. As a vocalist, would you ever explore, outside of covers, original music in other genres? You know, Things that you just clean sing or uh, like, are you ever inspired to write something original that doesn't have the harsh vocals or anything like that? You know, it's funny is I was talking, I just text Max this yesterday. I was like, you know, I want to write some songs that are all clean. And and even if it's like, if the, if the harsh bits only go into that, what do you call it? Your voice with distortion, your distortion if it goes into that then yeah but I'm really inspired to push myself vocally and I think 
confronting my demons with the cleans and stuff. It's so much more confronting to sing cleans than it is to get out there and scream because when you when you're nervous and you go out there and scream, all those nerves go away in the first growl. It's just like you put all of it out there, but with cleans, it's, it's, it's kind of not like that. It's a lot more, I, I can't seem to get out of my head with cleans. That inner critic is just like, Oh, that note was shit. Oh, you missed it. Oh, you're going to fucking miss it again. <laughs> I note, And it's like, <laughs> no, this is true. I can't shut him out. And, uh, so yeah, <laughs> I'm always saying that though. I'm like, harsh vocals are physically hard. Right. And sometimes in teaching, it takes people usually a lot longer to learn the fry scream than, than other screams. But it's kind of, once you get it though, once you get the harsh vocals, especially, you know, the full harsh vocals, those false chord stuff that don't have our voice in it. You're just repeating a noise and it's going to be pretty great, pretty badass, you know? And it, while it's physically very hard, like mentally, you don't have to sing in tune. You know, there's so much more that has to go in with clean singing. And I mean, gosh, it's so much harder. There's so much subtlety. Like what style? Is it opera? Is it belting? Is it in tune? Is it this too hot? You know, it's like, it's so much detail. Yeah, and if you can't hear the music on stage or something's happening with your ears, like with screaming, with screaming, you could just scream and no one would really notice, you know. But with the with the clean singing, it's like oh, a little bit weird. Yeah, because you lose your pitch reference with the screams. As long as you hear like the drum beat, you're kind of like, I think yeah. this is where we are. <laughs> and even if you're not in the right spot, people often don't even notice. They're just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, great show, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You do that same like talking voice as I do. Like, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. I feel like all of the women who start doing metal, we have this like, for lack of a, a better description, this like man masculine, like yeah, brother, yeah, brother, oh. like that leads us to it. Especially me because I just have an obscenely low voice. It's like a baritone. It's not really. You're an alto, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I can sing to like G two F two. It's really it's super low like it has not the darkest timbre but i i really have to lower the key of most <laughs> things that are not sung by men so uh, like the band that i sing with now it's kind of it's power metal i did that on purpose because everybody knows me for harsh vocals but i you know a lot of times and you've I, you've certainly experienced this um i think you can relate when you do a lot of harsh vocals people forget you can sing they forget like oh you can actually sing really well and they just focus, especially for women, like female screaming, scream, you know, and they they just focus on that. And so I do all clean singing with this particular group. And um, the two singers before me had like a little bit higher, including a guy, <laughs> had a little bit higher vocals than me. And so I they were in C sharp and I was like, we're going to tune down to C now. So, <laughs> yeah. But do you ever mess with things like that? Um, you know, because obviously Camelot, it's like no matter what your vocal range is, this is the gig. And sometimes they've had really high singers like Elise. Um, and so, you know, it's like, oh, God, I hope it fits. What's that like to have to you cannot change the key of a like a musical or a guest spot or something pre-composed, really. You've got to do it where it is. Was that kind of challenging, not being able to move it around? Or did it kind of just fit where it was for you? No, it did not fit. It was a challenge. And I often, with those super high notes, I think it was a comfort, comforting thing for me to just, instead of trying to do it beautifully clean, I would do the high note like with rasp. And that would make up for my... Uh, vibrato I guess or if I was afraid I wasn't going to hit the vibrato I I would just go all right I'm going for rasp and I would just like 
go for it, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a challenge. Some nights I didn't hit the note and that was okay because uh, I would learn on uh, what I did wrong or if I forgot to breathe or, you know, it was a learning experience. Um, yeah, really grateful for it. Oh my God, I'm grateful. I mean, I always tell my students, I'm like, look, the only way out is through, you know, they'll all want to perfect it before and they'll put a lot of them will put off joining a band like until it's like absolutely perfect. I'm like, you know what, though, the things that are going to make it perfect are, you know, doing the gig, you know, getting out there and doing it and allowing yourself to even on a pro level like that, you know, allowing yourself to make some of the mistakes, because how can you fix that without actually doing the performance? There's really no way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I used to find, I find myself apologetic to the fans, you know, like I, if I miss something, that would be all I focus on is, oh, I missed that high note. Oh, I'm, and I would tell fans, not just in Camelot, but even in Once Human, the, in the clean bits, I would miss something. And, and I would be like, oh yeah, I'm sorry about missing. And, and I learned, do not do that. Cause they, a lot of times they were like, what are you talking about? You were incredible. And I was like, what? So yeah, don't be afraid to screw up. People like they, they People don't like hone in and hyper focus on that. And, and a lot of times they they don't even notice. And for the most part, fans are appreciative of the show and they just grateful for the performance. And yeah, it's it's insane the amount of love that comes from people. The reality that I'm always uh, reminding my students of is, look, the audience is not musicians usually. Even certain vocalists, it can take a while to hear the difference between certain techniques. I mean, even me, and I teach all day, I still don't have perfect pitch. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell if the band changed the tuning of a song unless, like, I listened to it right before and then they dropped it, like, to Gentland, like, really far, you know? Like, even experienced musicians sometimes can't really tell some of these things things and or they don't know the song well enough to know that that wasn't the note or or whatever so a lot of times yeah our mistakes we know but the audience is going to have a real hard time picking up on that we're a little bit like musicians you know we're still kind of putting on this show you know and uh i get what you mean by you don't want to let them down but they also don't they also probably don't know they don't realize no that is so cool this is so neat so is there anything that you would tell a younger vocalist as a piece of advice for stuff they should do to get started? What if they don't have anywhere to start? Uh, what's the best way for someone to start getting into vocals? Do you think that doing impersonations would be best? Looking for a coach is best? What would your advice be for someone who's never done extreme vocals that wants to discover that? Well, definitely, I found impersonating is a really cool way to be outside of your own head. And if you want to make a joke out of it, make a funny video, like impersonating Metallica or like you don't have to upload it, but just for yourself, like karaoke is another one. Uh, there's a lot of songs online where you could just do the karaoke version. You can start by just just singing it in your car and uh, you know no one can hear you and you honestly if you if you try different things different songs and different styles you you'll discover like where your voice is naturally more inclined but you can always learn the harsh vocal style there's many amazing teachers online such as yourself the accessibility to everyone is uh, a lot better these days than when I started out Oh, yes, yes. There didn't even used to be a such thing as a coach for that kind of thing. No, no. And yeah, there's a lot of damage done to my cords because of that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've healed. 
They're working so nicely now. Yes, everything's fine now. Luckily, I was very young, so I still had all that growth hormone, I think, healing my body. (laughs) But yes, um, as far as trolls go... Gosh, you know, anyone that puts stuff on the internet, you're gonna get the you're gonna get people who comment and want to say something because negative stuff often gets the most attention. And the best thing for me that came out of trolls is Larry. Larry was born from trolls because Oh, that is so great. Yes. I love it. Because a lot of these comments are actually quite funny, you know. <laughs> Because that's all they want. They want attention, you know, so they're trying to be funny. And, you know, they're often just like people who are probably unhappy in themselves or, you know, there's something. It's never you, you know, it's just people wanting attention. And so just ignore them. Uh, I, I choose not to read comments nowadays, like these news sites that repost our stuff. It's just like... I don't need to see all that, but, uh, that's how Larry was born. Because when I used to read all these comments, I would get a laugh and I would read them in that voice, like a hillbilly. And I would like read them out to Logan and I would walk into the room like, Hey Logan, listen to this one. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and, like, I would start reading and a lot of t- back, back in those days, it was often, uh, attacks against women in the scene. You know, there was a lot of misogynistic stuff and, uh, a lot of just like, she doesn't belong here. And, you know, like, oh, I wonder what she sounds like in bed if she can scream like that kind of just real just stuff like that. Right. Yeah. It's gotten so much better, I must say, because in this last deadlock video, I was really I told everyone, uh, Logan, the label, I told everyone, please screenshot the bad comments because Larry was going to react to them. There was none. <laughs> wow, was that none. is so great. Yes. <laughs> it's so weird because I think we've really evolved and people are becoming a lot more accepting, especially uh, with women in metal. I mean, that's that's my view on it. And um, so that's a really great thing. But look, if you're going to put yourself on the internet, you're going to get trolled. And it's just the most you could do is just ignore it or laugh at it and, and move on, you know, don't, don't interact with them because that's what they want. In fact, you o- often notice the negative comments are always the ones that are most interactive with, because we just focus, everyone focuses on the negative shit. We can never just focus on all the positive stuff. We always remember the negative stuff and you got to just get that out of your head. Just ignore it. Yeah. This is great. These are such wonderful points. And I think that everybody listening will have learned a lot from you. You have really great insight. You make wonderful vocal sounds with your voice, your clean and harsh vocals. So where, as we're, thank you so much, by the way, for sharing all your stories with us today and for giving us your insight. And I think that this is going to be a wonderful episode. And I wanted to see at the end here, where can people find you if they do want to follow you? Say that they're kind of getting introduced to Lauren Hart and all the things that you do. Where could they follow you online? At Once Human, at O Lauren Hart which is once human Lauren Hart. It's not like, oh, Lauren Hart. It's once human Lauren Hart. Oh, <laughs> oh Lauren Hart. Yeah. I mean, it could be that if you want. Again, if that's how you perceive it. They'll remember it though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Lauren Hart. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so yes. Uh, and then um, Facebook, Lauren Hart page. I don't know how to get rid of the page. It just came like that. <laughs> I don't know how to delete the Lauren Hop page. Uh, so anyway. The- oh, <laughs> yes, yes. You know what? I have to admit, I've all but abandoned Facebook. I only do YouTube and Instagram. And I'll do Messenger, you know, but it's hard as a musician on Facebook. It's not very supportive, like video or we don't, people don't use it that much anyways. 
No, I don't really either. Everything is basically shared from Instagram onto Facebook. And so, you know, this, and also I find that people, uh, that Facebook's really restricted the views. I mean, yes. bad, yes. like, <laughs> like I used to get like thousands of reacts or, you know, um, or at least hundreds, you know, and, and then I posted this deadlock video and I think it was something in the 50 people saw it or something it was like what the hell that's <laughs> ridiculous so, yeah so yeah I'm moving away from Facebook myself don't have a TikTok yet well actually Larry does but- oh I gotta follow Larry on TikTok <laughs> Larry's more on on Instagram uh hey Logan Larry uh at hey Logan Larry but yeah uh, YouTube once human yeah thank you for for giving me uh the opportunity to share that with your fans I appreciate it Oh, well, we appreciate you so much. And thank you for sharing your awesome vocals with the world. It's been great. You're such a wonderful, insightful vocalist. I've It's been delightful to have you on. And thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show.